0: Hi, this is Gary Meese with The Case Against. I'm foregoing the uh, crickets tonight because I'm having a few technical glitches with all sorts of things and it was creating some problems. I'm going to be talking about um, a news story that caught my eye. Concerning the uh, the whole brouhaha about the West Memphis Three as evidence, and as I think we I covered in my last episode, there's been this ongoing controversy about the the uh, evidence in the case against Michael, uh, um, um, not Michael, uh, S- Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miscelli, and the deaths of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers. May 5th, 1993, it's known popularly as the uh, West Memphis Three. It's been the subject of four documentaries, a, a fictionalized feature film, uh, not quite a few TV programs and podcasts. It's very well known, several books, including my books, uh, Blood on Black, The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers, Where the Monsters Go. One on black and where the monsters go, or it's two volume set that basically covers the whole case up to you know a point, the point that I had uh, uh, stopped writing the book four or five years ago, and um, I'm not going to make an attempt to update unless something really big happens with it. Anyway, this this is a report, and it's from. as i say wmc which is one of the better regarded memphis television stations as far as news i used to watch their news programs quite frequently and during the many many years i lived there and uh the reporter in question joyce peterson i used to see her on there quite quite often i haven't even lived in memphis in 4 years and uh, she's and she's been working there certainly for the last four years. She's been working there a very long time. This is not a rookie making rookie mistakes. And even if she were, she should they they have people overseeing, you know, what's written and so forth to make sure that nothing egregiously bad pops up. I'm sure they do. Even with the way new staffs are cut back today, they make some effort at fact checking beyond just what the reporter has to say. So she, um, she starts off and says, and goes, really goes right to a, makes a, a, a totally ridiculous statement is in the lead. She says, not a single piece of evidence ever connected the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Muskelly, to the 1993 murders of Steve Branch, he's usually called Stevie, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore. Uh, This is patently absurd. Uh, Are there any cases in the United States in which people are charged, prosecuted, taken to trial, convicted, sentenced, passed judicial uh, review, uh, passed repeated challenges? and there's no evidence against them? It's absurd. Now, if she meant to say there was no physical evidence found against West Memphis Three, she would be almost right, but there was some physical evidence against the West Memphis Three. There just wasn't very much of it. There was some candle wax, that a blue candle wax found on um, one of the shirts, I believe that seemed to be similar to wax that was found in <clears throat> uh, the bedroom, uh, the, a book uh, never on a broomstick that Eccles had in his home and also in the bedroom of his 16 year old pregnant girlfriend, Dominique tear uh, on the nightstand, I think where is where the candle was found. So <clears throat> He, uh, that's not very strong evidence. Uh, You know, there's no way you can definitively tie that blue candle wax to uh, found at the crime scene to Damian Eccles or Dominique Tears' candle. Um, However, the it was similar enough that it was brought forth in trial by in in in, uh, testimony. And the jury did consider that among the evidence they, um, you know, were looking over in the jury room. If apparently they found it something about it to be somewhat uh, compelling. And, uh, you know, in fact, it's why would there be blue candle wax on, one, on, on an item of clothing from one of these little boys? Uh, there's not really a good answer to that beyond perhaps an encounter with Damien Eccles, but there might be a perfectly rational reason for it otherwise. Um, there, there were also some fibers found. There was a green fiber that seemed to match a t-shirt from Damien Eccles' home, and there was a red fiber that matched, um, that seemed to match a nightgown owned by Jason Baldwin's mother. Again, fairly weak evidence. Uh, they uh, they probably could argue about how common these threads are, but the fact is, is these these were mass-produced items of clothing. Uh, Fiber, this kind of fiber recognition is not a particularly ex- exact science anyway it's certainly not as exact as dna and uh, simply finding those kind of fibers uh, in you know a, just a little fiber here and a little fiber there really constitutes very very weak evidence but it is evidence so to say that there was no piece, not a single piece of evidence ever connected the West Memphis Street would simply be correct, even if you were talking about physical evidence. There was a, a lot of evidence that was presented in terms of other evidence, other circumstantial evidence. Most imp, uh, The most important single piece of evidence, though it wasn't used against Damian Eccles and Jesse Miskelly Jr., was the confession of. I mean, not, it wasn't used against uh, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. Was Jesse Miscelli Jr.'s confession to police, which prompted the arrest to begin with. Now, a, a, again, it wasn't used in in the trial of Baldwin and uh, Eccles, but uh, that was the basis for the conviction of Jesse Miscelli as much as anything. They really didn't have much else on him, but they had that and. It was su- more than sufficient to convict, um, and, it, the, and the confession is evidence. A family seeing Damien Eccles walking, uh, eh, to use two quick examples, a family s- seeing the testimony of two family members who saw Damien Eccles walking near the crime scene in dirty clothes that, in, in, that evening in a really what is it it's the middle of a city and it's by the interstate, but it's really a fairly remote spot. There's not a whole lot of reason to be there. Uh walking along the service road. Uh they saw Damian Eccles there within just a few hundred feet of the uh where the boys were found in um Robin Hood Hills. So that is evidence. That testimony is evidence. Jason Baldwin confessed, and really, one of the few pieces of evidence they had against Jason Baldwin. And I, I will agree, it's not, perhaps it was deemed to be too compelling uh, by the jury, but uh, the, um, could, the testimony by Michael Carson about Jason Baldwin confessing to him while they were both in juvenile lockup is evidence. So, I I'm, I'm, you know I'm beating this to death, but this is just plain stupid, and she sh- surely she's not that stupid. I've known some TV reporters who really weren't that bright, but I don't think she is one of them. Okay, to go on. Uh, the next sentence. Eccles' attorneys finally got access Tuesday to the evidence they believe can exonerate all three men. Well, I I really doubt that they believe this evidence is going to exonerate anybody. Uh, For one thing, it's not clear that it's not clear that they're ever going to even be able to use this evidence in any kind of new way to an attempt at exoneration. Um, And, you know, the way this is worded, the the impression that the casual viewer will get was, oh, yeah, they must have something really good there to uh, for, to have this belief. Well, you know, the truth is, is, there's, as far as we know, as far as maybe they know something from the DNA testing from 2011, the results they, of that that they haven't released, maybe that would show exoneration now. When it wouldn't, sh- did, couldn't, it didn't show it in, in 2011. I really would anybody believe that? There's no new evidence in the case. There hasn't been in a very, very long time. And I use evidence in the strictest sense of the word. The only evidence you could really bring against uh, uh, that would remotely qualify as evidence, since uh, relating to the case, since. Uh, their release is Damien Echols, uh, his, his, his choice of a career as a ceremonial ritual magician in a case in which investigators thought there might be an element of occult ritualism in the, in the, in the actual commission of the murders. That, you know, to me, if anything, his career choice is incriminating. And, you know, if you were going to go back, you know, make an argument about it, I guess that could be evidence. But, it, you know, it's, it's it's a bit of a judgment. It's not a very strong form of evidence, but it is evidence. Okay, that's one sentence. The next sentence says, Eccles' legal team says it took a court order from the state to see the evidence at the West Memphis Police Department. Well, there wasn't a court order and the court order did come from the state because there was no court order. Um, the state used in a more generic sense as um, the uh, a, a judge who's representing the interest of the state, uh, how You can it's a stretch but you could you, you know, I've seen that usage before. I may have even use used that before, but basically, you know, it's a state's case and all that. But basically, if you're talking about a court order, you're not going to say from uh, the state because it's too, uh, it lacks specificity. What you need to say is a court order from the Crittenden County Circuit Judge so-and-so or whatever, if the issue order had actually been issued, there was no court order. There never was, and the idea that that's how they got access to this this uh, evidence, which is what, it didn't take a court order to do this. Uh, Patrick Binka, who filed these motions, filed this motion to action to have the uh, West Memphis police cited for not following Fe- Freedom of Information Act uh, standards, uh, he was the party, the uh, complaining party, and and uh, the West Memphis Police Department. They this had gone on, this controversy had gone on for quite a while. But eventually, what they did was they worked out. They acted like adults, as I said the other day, and worked out an agreement where um, Binkic could cut if he was really, truly concerned about the state of the evidence in the in the killings. They would allow him, as a, a as a party with a valid complaint, I suppose, to come in and check it out, and he did. But it didn't take a court order to do that. The West Memphis Police Department voluntarily agreed to let Binka take a look at the evidence. So so far, we've read I've read three sentences, and there's been, but at least four egregious errors. Now, this is true. They say the evidence is in good shape and well-documented. Yeah. okay. Well, okay. Now, here's a quote from Lonnie Sowery, spokesperson for the Eccles legal team, and he's a PR guy from New York. He, was bad, he badgered me a little bit when I was working at the West Memphis Evening Times because I was writing stories that made it actually sound as if these convicted killers were convicted killers. I didn't go out of my way to describe them as, you know, wrongfully accused or anything of that nature. I mean, you know, the stories reflected the fact that there was a controversy about that, about their conviction, but I, I I wasn't taking their side like most reporters seem to do. Uh, Anyway. This is the quote from Sowery. I'll read. I'll just read what this says. Well, we're shocked that it's taken eighteen months," said Lonnie Sowery, spokesperson for Eccles' legal team. Well, you know, honestly, it really, this this shouldn't have taken eighteen months. The, the, both parties in this this matter seem to have been at fault. But West Memphis Police Department, they should follow the state uh, the state guidelines on Fre- Freedom of Information Act and have and have gone ahead and sent the documentation off to Benka, and that would have taken care of the problem. They didn't do it for whatever reason. Now, this is just, the the next sentence is just funny. Salary says they've spent the pandemic fighting for justice for Eccles, Baldwin, and Miskelly. Of course, if they really got the justice they really, truly deserve... All three of them would have been fried in an electric chair, what, 27 years ago. And I'm not even an advocate of or or 28 years, 26 years ago, whenever that would have been, like 1995, so 20, yeah, 27. Yeah, you know, they, um, I'm not really an advocate of the death penalty, and it's not because I believe it's inherently wrong, but I'm just, the way it's applied in the judicial system, it's so easily abused people who really deserve, really honestly deserve to get the cruelest treatment. If we're going to hand out the death penalty, uh, it should be reserved for some really egregiously bad cases, of which this is one. And uh, in, in this case is a good example. Eccles Eccles is the, gets the death penalty, and his co-defendants didn't. And both of them were just as involved as him. And Baldwin... According to uh, Miss Kelly, was the one who actually wielded the knife and really took what if they had just stopped with the beatings, you know, they might have killed actually killed them just on the base. By the time they got finished with the beatings, uh, they would have died from the beatings. It seems pretty apparent. Certainly, whenever who ever went around and punched three holes in the tops tops of the head uh, punched. A post or stick or something—probably one of the sticks found at the scene, almost certainly. Maybe more than one was used in the commission of this, but in in a ritual uh, again, in a ritualistic fast and fast fashion, there were three sharp blows to the heads of all three boys. You know, I realize it's not uh, an occult scene like you would see in, uh, I've referred to Hammer films before, and some people don't seem to know what I'm talking about, but those old vampire movies, they didn't do just vampire movies, but particularly vampire movies with, um, oh, what's his name? (laughs) I I forget his name now. Christopher, I I know it, but I just can't think of it. Anyway, back in the '60s and '70s, that were really quite popular and and pretty enjoyable to watch. Okay, the next sentence here: We were told that evidence had been destroyed in a fire. Salory said. Now, one thing, that was never never said. Nobody ever seemed to suggest that anybody was saying, except here. But you know, as far as the original sources on this which is a lot of it was Marco McClendon. He never said that all the evidence was destroyed. He just said that he thought he understood that some was lost or destroyed in this fire. And he thought it was well, well before the fire at the date of the, of the release when it actually wasn't. Marco McClendon did not know what he was talking about when he, and he spread this news. He, he, maybe he had been told there had been a fire and, uh, in a in a uh, container, and I'm get speculating here, so I'm maybeing, but you know, he uh, had been told, he apparently been told that there was a fire, and I, I, he must have been told because how else would he know this? I don't think he went through the documents, so he was told this. There had been a fire in a, a container that contained some West Memphis Three evidence, but apparently none of the evidence was destroyed in the fire. There was a box that was removed from that container that was found in a field about 100 feet away. That's it, and that was in 2016, and that was it. They retrieved the box. Apparently, it was intact. Who knows why they took the box? Who knows why they walked it 100 feet and then left it in a field? Maybe they were trying to get away. Maybe they they stole a couple of guns, which seems to be the real point of the crime, but... um, you know nobody was nobody was uh, charged in this the, the, the investigation into the fire went nowhere so we really don't know the facts in, in terms of what happened with that fire except that there was a fire uh, there's a claim there I, some people I'm sure will claim there wasn't a fire that people claim all sorts of goofy things uh, particularly on the supporter side they have no Backing in any kind of factual basis. So, we were told the evidence had been destroyed in a fire. He doesn't say who told him this, and he doesn't explain any of these um, qualifiers that I'm trying to get at. So, um, Keith Cressman also told me he understands some of the evidence was lost or destroyed. He was getting second or third or fourth-hand information as well. And I don't know why he even bothered passing that along to uh, the defense, but he did. So, you know, it created more problems than it solved, certainly. Okay, Sowery said, we were told the evidence had been destroyed on a fire. And then, lo and behold, we get to the West Memphis Police Department today and all the evidence is cataloged, is there intact, nothing was destroyed. Well, I think this is a metaphorical we. I don't think Lonnie Sowery actually went to the West Memphis Police Department. But the good news is, is all that evidence is cataloged. It's all there intact. None of it was destroyed. The state of the West Memphis Three evidence is the same now as it was in 1994 when they concluded the the case against the, the, the last of the two trials against the West Memphis Three. And I'm sure they've moved the evidence around some, but basically it's all there. So this bruhaha about um, uh, lost and destroyed evidence, and oh, this is a cover-up, and it just shows what those crooked cops are capable of, they're destroying evidence, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. The supporters are now trying to spin it as this all was some sort of smokes sc- I guess they think it was some sort of smoke screen so they wouldn't have to show any evidence to anybody but guess what? I mean maybe that's how they explain it. I don't know why they think this is a big deal on some level. But um, and I don't know how they really why they would regard I, they're acting as if well, all the evidence is there is good news. Well evidence has always been there. It would have been. What really wouldn't have been a bad thing if some of the evidence had been destroyed, inadvertently or however. But it, nothing like that happened, which makes this more of a non-story than it started out with. And it wasn't that big a deal. Shouldn't have been that big a deal. But this is a perfect example of you know, cliches. Much much ado about nothing. Um. And on the basis of a couple of, you know, it sounds like Cressman uh, and McClendon basically passed along either very imperfectly imparted information or downright rumors. Nothing was destroyed. Now, here's the, here's the, the thing. It says, it's still quoting uh, Salary, who probably wrote the press release where he's quoting himself it can now be tested to see who left dna at the crime scene my attorney was in the evidence room and saw it with his own eyes every piece is still there the the, the thing the, the kicker the, the thing that's egregiously bad about this and it is a quote so you you know it sort of has to stand on its own merits but uh, if you're going to be reporting there should be some balance here on this which th- this part really is not but it says it can now be tested there's no plans to test. There's nothing in the works to test this evidence. No uh, court action's been filed. They, on the basis of the agreements that um, the West Memphis Three made when they took the Alford plea and pled guilty back in 2011 to these crimes, they can't file any court action. Who el- And who else has standing? It's not clear that anybody else would have standing for this. I made the point the other day, and I'll make it again, Pam Hicks, Pam Hobbs, and John Mark Byers were denied access to this this evidence back in 2013. And basically all Pam was saying was she just wanted to see it. I, maybe she wanted to handle it, which would be very, very problematic. She probably did want to handle it, but, you know, I think she might have been satisfied with just seeing it. And the judge said, no, no, you're, it's not justified. I mean, this is evidence The it was presented in court. It's now it's securely locked up, and there's no legal reason for you to have to see this. It's would he's correct. It, it was it was an emotional reason. She wasn't doing it for a legal purpose, you know. And honestly, I wouldn't have been up. Uh, would I have been upset if they did the same thing with Pam Hicks as they did with Lonnie, with uh, Patrick Binka? And let her just look at the evidence. No. In fact, I think maybe they they should have. I just, you know, the legalities aside, just from a compassionate standpoint, I can understand that. John Mark Byers was just riding coattails uh, for the publicity, I think. He was enjoying being in front of the cameras again. We found what we were looking for. The ligatures that bound the children. The sneaker ligat- ligatures in which Terry Hobbs' DNA was found in, Salary said. Well, the, okay, he was looking for something that was never lost, which was the ligatures that bound the children. The sneaker li- ligatures in which Terry Hobbs' DNA was found in. Terry Hobbs, there's no way of proving that Terry that the single hair found in the, uh, in the in the ligature, which is far weaker evidence uh, as far as actually, it's not much stronger maybe than the fiber evidence that we were talking about or the candle wax evidence we were talking about. There was a, particularly given the context of the possibilities with this, but that, that's mitochondrial DNA. Make the, I'm going to make the point again that there's no way that that DNA can be traced definitively to Terry Hobbs alone. He has, he, it shares mitochondrial DNA with Terry Hobbs. It also shares that same mitochondrial DNA with at least, at least a couple hundred people in West Memphis and millions of people just in the United States alone. Which is a pretty wide range of suspects. We're not talking about O.J.'s DNA here. We're talking about a hair that cannot definitively be linked to anyone. And let me say, and that uh, Terry Hobbs has said, you know, it might be my hair. Uh, there's no big mystery here. Those boys were in and out of my house all the time. I think that was almost his exact quote. He's and he's commented about this several times. But, um, and pretty consistently, I think. Uh, And the truth is, is all three boys were in his home that day. One of them lived in the house with him. It would not be exceedingly strange if they picked up a hair from uh, a step-parent that they were living with. If Stevie had done that, uh, Christopher was in the house, Michael Christopher I think was in there watching Muppet babies with uh, Amanda for a long time might have been rolling around on the floor he liked to apparently like he was apparently very active a little bit on the hyperactive side so who knows what he got into while he was in there as far as rolling around and getting into contact with things and Michael Moore was in there that day so uh they all three were there that day it's completely possible that it was transference from from Terry Hobbs, it's also completely possible that it is a hair that is a result of contamination or, came, or is not a result of contamination but came from some other source such as one of the kids that the boys went to school with or one of the police officers or one of the uh, attendants who uh, handled the bodies and maybe inadvertently had created some source of contamination uh, Left a hair there. There's all sorts of possibilities there, and uh, at this point, it'd be impossible to rule everybody out that they came in contact with for that just that day, much less the week. And that hair could have been in there for who knows how long. Again, I'll say it probably Terry Hobbs' hair, probably, but you can't prove that. And even if you could, what does it prove? That there was a hair hair, uh, hair with mitochondrial mitochondrial DNA that was found, in, found uh, a, in one of the shoelaces uh, that it helped tie up the boys. That alone proves nothing. It, pro- it proves nothing, and it doesn't suggest a whole lot. If you had something else on Terry Hobbs, it would be maybe you would at least say, oh, well, you know, this raises a real question. It doesn't even raise a real question. Terry Hobbs had a pretty good alibi for the time, uh, considering the source of his corroboration on the alibi, which is David Jacoby. David Jacoby wasn't keeping track of what time it was during all this time, but he's described, he did it in his interview with Bob Ruff, he describes encountering Terry Hobbs not just once or twice that even but over and over again they went out they searched the neighborhood they did this and that they did this and that and yes Terry hobbs left his home got in his car and rode around without Dave, david jacoby several times but he also came back and got david at least once and some it depends on which version jacoby's telling because the longer the older it gets the more confused this memory becomes apparently but At least once, and maybe several times, he came in and rode with Jacoby. Jacoby originally said that Terry was over at his house until playing guitar till six thirty that evening. Terry has never said that, and you can draw your own conjecture about why or why he might not have wanted to admit that instead of looking for his stepson, he was playing guitar with a friend. I think it's. Pretty obvious, even on the front end, why he might not want to do that. Not might not want to admit that he was playing guitar while Stevie was out roaming around. But even in that context, understand this was 1993. Uh, Stevie usually didn't do such a thing as stay away from. I'm sure you like to be home at dinner time, um, as most boys that age do. But he usually didn't do that sort of thing. But it would not be too unusual for a boy to be late getting home from playing with his friends. I know I used to do it. My mom didn't really particularly care, but, you know, I used to do it. And my moms really didn't care that much as long as you didn't break your arm or get into a fight and got in before dark. It really wasn't that big a deal, at least in my household. Uh, some other house, you know, maybe my mom said, oh, we're going to eat, eat tonight at 630, so you need to be home. I'm sure that happened some nights. We did that, but, and I was there probably, but if I hadn't been, my mother wouldn't be f- freaking out. She'd be going, where's that darn Gary? I told him to be here at 630. Okay, and I'm not sure so sure that Terry Hobbs didn't have that attitude in 1993. Um, Hobbs was Branch's stepfather. Okay, this is the story. Hobbes was Branch's stepfather. Earlier this year, he told Action News Five he welcomes new DNA testing. Well, I guess he would welcome t- new DNA testing, uh, but the fact is, is there? There's no really. I, I'll, I'll repeat. There's how is new DNA testing supposed to come about? That hasn't been explained. Uh, the bodies of Branch Byers and more were found in a drainage ditch in West Memphis, May 6, 1993. In 1994, Eccles, Baldwin, and Miskelly, teenagers at the time, were convicted of killing the eight-year-old boys in what was believed to be a satanic ritual. It's slightly overstating it. Uh, they, the police thought that perhaps it was a satanic ritual, um, they emphasized they did have, uh, you know, they did build some of the case around this fact, but it was never central to the case. And the truth is the jury didn't really, they really sort of disregarded uh, all the, uh, the the evidence such as it was, which was not particularly well presented. There, there's actually, you can build a good case, and I've done it, that there was a, an occult aspect to this as that there is an occult aspect to almost everything Damien Eccles does. Uh, rarely cited is the fact that May 5th, 1993 is the date of Old Beltane, which is a significant high holiday in the pagan religion. It's the perfect, it is the actual real date when the planets are blah de blah de blah blah. I don't really understand all that. And not May 1st but May 1st is close enough. It, there was a full moon, which is sacred to a lot of these pagan beliefs. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the way the boys were tied, uh, ritual tying is a part of all sorts of uh, initiatory and occult rituals. There's nothing unusual about that. What is unusual is the way these boys were tied since it wasn't hog tying, and they really could have escaped easily if they'd been conscious. So why were they tied that way? Maybe somebody with a strange mindset like Damien Eccles could explain that to us. Uh, the the three holes punched in the head. That sounds like a ritual. Uh, something might happen in a ritual killing. Why three and not four? And to each boy. I think they're well, may well have been some significant. There could have been some significance there. Um, the fact that we had boys who were killed not just one way or two ways, but three ways, uh, particularly uh, Christopher Byers, he was beaten, he was stabbed, he was drowned. Threefold death is as uh, an important part of ancient pagan ritual, ritual sacrifice. Maybe this is all coincidence, and you could throw in stuff like, "Oh, it's near a crossroads," which I do think is just happens to be a coincidence. But the pl- the place where it was is a perfect place for an occult ritual. It's it's not really country, it's not really wood, it's it's not really deep woods. It's, it's nobody lives there, but people live close by, you know, it's, a, it's a little bit of land that sort of set up, it was a little bit of land that sort of set apart. It's hard to know how you would characterize this, these patches of woods that surrounded by residents that go right up to the highway, except as a perfect place for little boys to play back in the day. We would certainly done that, um, uh, and bums to hang out, which is bad news there. They, okay, th- back to the story. They had always maintained their innocence, even when taking an Alfred plea admitting guilt to get out of prison. Well, at least they got that part of it right. She did. West Memphis Mayor Marco McClendon says neither he nor Police Chief Michael Pope were the reason for the delay in getting access to the evidence. <laughs> Marco McClendon, I've I met this guy He's a bit of a character. I, I rather really liked him. He can't, He was under a lot of criticism from the newspaper, and I tried to give him some more balance as far as the news coverage because it was uniformly negative until I showed up and I remember doing a particular interview with him where he you know basically it was a sympathetic interview where he explained who he was, where he came from, what he hoped to do, etc. Uh, the publishers weren't that happy about it, but I wasn't, you know, for good or bad. I often wasn't writing stories to keep them happy, uh, for good or bad. Uh, bad for me when I heard it heard from them about it. Uh, Mc uh, I have no vested interest in trying to withhold any evidence from anyone on either side. We want to make sure they they get to the bottom of what they're trying to figure out," said McLinden. Now. M- McClendon by the way police chief Michael Pope is no longer police chief which that you know is relevant to the story and uh, he and McClendon have apparently been at odds ever since McClendon I mean uh, Pope took off took uh, the job of chief back in uh, the summer sometime so six months ago uh, really bad timing if, if, it, if it was truly a coincidence, and it seems to have been a coincidence that his, resigna- his the notice of his resignation hits the news the very same day that the notice of this West Memphis Three evidence gets out into the news, and suddenly a controversy about the West Memphis Police Department and the resignation of the police chief seemed to be linked in the public's mind. Now, Either this was exceedingly stupid or exceedingly smart, depending on what you want to, what effect you hope to produce. It certainly has given a lot of ammunition to uh, uh, the supporters and that, you know, they claim this is all some great police conspiracy and and that, uh, you know, I guess Pope is a scapegoat for all that. Uh, I think Pope was probably a scapegoat of his own overweening ambitions and, uh, and also just getting crosswise with Marco McGlendon which is really not a good idea in West Memphis and particularly in the West Memphis politics. But in general speaking, you really just don't want to cross Marco McGlendon in any fashion. And of course, McGlendon doesn't say, how they're going to make sure that they get to the bottom of what they're trying to figure out or what they're trying mean, he does certainly doesn't explain what they're trying to figure out I doubt if he knows I doubt if he has any idea how they're going to make sure they get to the bottom of what they're trying to figure out but you know he's a politician he's going to say stuff the next step is getting the evidence tested using a new DNA technology named MVAC again this is egregiously bad reporting There is no next step. The reporter is helping the viewer come, causing anyway, a lot of the viewers to come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, they're going to retest this evidence using this new DNA technology called MVAC. I heard it on TV. And actually, as I've said over and over again, there's no, what, how, 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 What's the legal avenue they've got to have the evidence retested? It's, it maybe it exists, but it certainly isn't obvious. And you know, almost again, I'm going to go over the Invac technology. It's not really that new. It was around when the West Memphis three were released in 2011. Um, was it widely popular then? I don't think so. Was it, Is it widely popular now? I don't think so. It's not something that the pub, public in general knows about. Really, really savvy, well-high-paid defense attorneys who are looking for uh, any scrap of exonerating evidence on DNA, such as the high-priced team that was helping out the Eccles and Baldwin and Miskelly back in 19... 19- not 19, but uh, 2011, should have been aware if there was a new technology for DNA testing available at that time and made, if they really felt they were going to come up with exonerating evidence, and made uh, sure that, the, that their, the sampling that they got was the result of DNA uh, testing through um, MVAC. Now, Bob Ruff came up with this whole MVAC. He started this whole thing with this evidence. Let's get the evidence retested via DNA. <clears throat> uh, you know, he's like a prime victim of the CSI effect. I, he th- I, apparently, he thinks DNA is going to answer all questions, and it doesn't. It raises, it's a very good tool, but it often raises more questions than it answers, and the, the, ter- the, the so-called Hobbes here is a good example. It gives a false impression about a DNA result that could lead to er- erroneous ideas about what's actually involved. Uh, contamination is a real problem with DNA. Incomplete or inconclusive results are fairly common. Mixed results are quite common, as in the Amanda Knox case where Amanda's Meredith Kircher's mixed blood the DNA from that was found mysteriously in one of the roommates, one of the roommates rooms. How did that get there? Unless Amanda was somehow involved in, if not the murders, the cleanup, you know, how did, would her blood and Meredith Kircher's blood get mixed up in that bedroom? Doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's possible. They both bled there at the same time. It just does you know, it's possible. Lots of things are possible. Uh, now we're hoping we're, that this development will lead to the real killers and the exoneration of the West Memphis Three said salary. Uh, again, this sounds like a rewrite of salary's um, salary's PR uh, piece release that he sent to the WMC. Now, uh, they're hoping that this development will lead to the real killers and the exoneration of the West Memphis Three. How is this development going to lead to the real killers? How is it going to lead to the exoneration of the West Memphis Three? This development consists of the fact that they found out that none of the West Memphis Three evidence has been uh, lost or destroyed and is actually fairly well cataloged and stored, etc., And guess what? That has been true since 1994. It was true in 2011. Uh, Nobody in the uh, defense team has made any effort to do anything in this case for almost had had not made any effort to do anything in the case until for almost 10 years. Give Bob Ruff credit for at least trying to do something, even as long ahead as it was. But he did more to look for the real, the so-called real killer, killers, because I guess he's convinced they're out there, than Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miscelli Jr. And of course, Bob was just doing it to pump up ratings in an oxygen show. Uh, but you know, they supposedly want to be exonerated. If you know you didn't do it, wouldn't you try to find out who did? They haven't tried to find out. They haven't done anything one's hanging around the trailer park ingesting various substances from what I understand another is uh, running a what amounts to me a a money-making scheme down in uh, Austin Texas called Proclaim Justice that is a kind of innocence project except he picks dead-end cases that really are not going to go anywhere so you know, how active how active can those cases be? How much work is that actually going to be? Those case, Nothing's ever going to happen in those cases that he's handling, ones I've seen. And, uh, and he should know that. Even somebody as dumb as Jason Baldwin ought to figure that one out. And it says, Eccles team wants the evidence tested by a private forensic DNA lab in California. Well, that's nice. But you know what? It's not going to happen unless somebody somewhere does something somewhat unprecedented as far as handling this case. What would make, you know, what could justify that sort of thing is if there was any new evidence, there had been any evidence all along that there was actually another viable suspect someplace, that there was some some reason to think that there might be some exonerating evidence in there somewhere, you know, a serial killer who, you know, shows that had a <sighs> has some memento of a, one of the boys or something like that, which you know didn't happen. It didn't happen. But let's say it did happen, and it, somehow you could tie it in, you know, the Boy Scout badge or something. You could actually tie it to the troop. Uh, uh, you know that that might raise enough questions that you know you would want to go back in and check. Nothing like that has happened. Nothing like that has ever happened. There's the, they Damien Eccles was the best suspect four days out in the investigation, and he remained the best suspect all during the investigation, the trial. Uh, the conviction, the sentencing and all his time in prison, he remains the best suspect today. Jason and Jesse aren't so obvious as suspects, but Jesse confessed. so and he confessed repeatedly. He confessed quite a few times after he was sentenced to prison where he re- and he wasn't trying to work out some big deal. He just wanted he apparently just wanted to talk. And so he did, and when he did, he described how he, uh, Baldwin and Eccles went to the woods and murdered those boys. So why would they do? Why would they go have this tested at this private forensic DNA lab in California? No explanation whatsoever. And then here's a quote from Sowery: "Asa Hutchison, step up and order this case be closed." Asia Hutchinson is the governor of Arkansas, okay? Salary said. Again, this sounds like a PR release from Salary is the maybe the all, virtually the sole source in this story except she did talk to McClendon apparently. Uh, I'm not sure that the governor really would ordinarily would have some sort of role in the dispensation of a criminal case barring extraordinary circumstances. They can exonerate, they can pardon, and they can commute sentences. so they can do that. but this it says step up and order this case be closed. The zinger in this is that the case is closed. It's been officially closed for over a decade. So ASA Hutchinson can't step in and close something that's already closed. If he wanted, clo- wanted to close a case, if he wanted to actually close this case, he would have to have it ordered reopened, for, and he would have to have some justifiable reason for doing that, and I just outlined, there is no justifiable reason unless PR, marketing, and a bunch of angry idiots is, is a good reason for opening a criminal case, and then close it again with whatever, for whatever reason, with whatever results came of all this. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past somebody like H- Asa Hutchinson to actually involve himself in this if he thought there was some sort of political benefit to him. I'm sure he would do it if there was political benefit to him uh, and he could get away with it. I'm not sure there is political benefit to him, but we shall see. Maybe he'll maybe he'll actually do something. Uh, from his standpoint, it'd be if he, you know, uh, there's other ways to go about it. If you just don't think they were, if you really think that they were wrongfully convicted, there are other things that he can do, uh, such as, you know, issue a pardon, a full-scale exoneration. Uh, I don't think that's the least bit justified, but I wouldn't put it past somebody. I don't think Hutchison will do that, but I, you know, I wouldn't put it past a politician to do that just for purposes of, of what they perceive as public goodwill so the case cannot be closed when it's already closed and that is the end of that uh, I usually don't comment on news reports and all these podcasts I, I don't really do a lot of commentary on a lot of the stuff that's going on in this case because most of it's pretty trivial uh, this evidence thing is sort of trivial, but not that tr- trivial. But, um, you know, this piece was so bad, and it's by a veteran reporter, and it's the local, you know, I feel somewhat of a personal connection. I I, I know the news anchor there, the longtime news anchor, Joe Birch. I, he, I consider him to be, he's more than just an acquaintance. We're not close friends, but I consider him to be something of a friend. I've had lunch with him a couple of times at least. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've spent some time around the guy and, uh, I, I just know him and, uh, I respect him. I like him. And I, most people who, most people who know Joe like him and respect him and think he's a good guy. Almost. I don't know anybody that thinks he's a bad guy, but I will say this, his station put, certainly put out a bad report. And, but, you know, they're not unique in that respect. This just happened to be one of the most egregious cases. That's all for tonight. Uh, I may not be chiming in again anytime soon. If something big happens, I will. I will get back to covering the case uh, from from the books uh, pretty soon. Good night.